huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Right, so um, everyone come and take a seat. The first thing I want to say is thanks for coming. The second thing I want to say is thanks for staying. And we'd like to give back now by doing a Q&A session. Now, um, I know there's a fair few of you that are staying for dinner with us. So don't try and hide the yawn. Just let it all out. <laughs> um, so we're just going to run this Q&A all the way through until dinner. You can obviously leave at any time. We won't be offended, but we're going to stay here until probably about 20 past seven. Just take as many questions as possible. And then we'll go straight into dinner for those of you that are um, at the dinner with us. So you can either ask for one of us to answer or all of us to answer. Um, I'll leave it up to you. This is for you. So who would like to start and ask a question? So we're going to go with Julie at the front. Go on, Julie. Okay, so um, my question come from when Matt was talking. Kurt, Di, are you coming for dinner? Okay, cool. See you there. That's all good. Yeah. So my question come from when Matt was talking and Matt was saying about when you had spoken to the bodyguards after the Will Smith event, you said that they knew something wasn't quite right about his emotional state. So my question is, and specifically, I suppose, when you are being security or bodyguarding people, how do you, how did you learn about recognising people's emotional state? How do you learn as a in that type of position when somebody might attack or do something not nice how did you learn that is it instinctive intuitive uh yeah good question so i didn't have any training at all about bodyguarding or security or anything whatsoever so michael told us how how things were because he used to say i've been a superstar since i was five so this is how we do things. And we had like a little signals that he would make. And sometimes it would jump and when the crowds got bigger, go under people's legs with, I had with him, he's like the superstar of superstars. I remember telling somebody that he was the best man at one of my friends wedding and everyone, everyone in that, in that wedding was, was super famous. And at the end of it, everyone mobbed him. But the thing with him, I didn't have to deal with it so much because He'd only get hurt because people loved him so much and they were squashing him. And the sad story is we just couldn't go out. So I know everyone thinks it was glitz and glamorous, but we just didn't go out. And if we did, everything would have to be shut down for us. The thing with Will Smith, I know one of the security guards for the Grammys. I don't know Will Smith's bodyguards whatsoever. I think it was the, it's the emotional state after he did the slap that everyone was concerned about because it's live TV, one of the biggest shows in the world. That Will could, it could get escalated into something really big. But. Exactly. Good for the Oscars and good for Chris Rock, though. Yeah, Chris they Rock did all right, extremely didn't well, I love it. Yeah. They had an interesting night. Who's next? I'll be the mic runner. 
I, I got this shit. There you go. Um, hello, good evening. Um, I just wanted to ask about your franchise um, business. Um, how long did it take um, for you to have it well established in terms of from beginning to where you could say that you had financial freedom from it? Take about three minutes minimum to answer this question. Rob used to say this in Clubhouse. Matt, you got one minute to introduce yourself and tell your stories. Impossible, I've got three minutes. I was already financially stable at the time I was 22 years old. One of my mentors is Yuri Geller, who's very into property. So he made me buy, I made him a wish not to buy, uh, I did go and buy Ferraris and stuff like that. Of course I did, get out of my system. But he made me buy property. So at the time I was 22, I think I had like six or seven HMOs with a thousand pound a month profit each one. So I didn't have to work again. So I was financially free then. And then the franchise inside, it's been a learning curve, but I would say, I've got some of my team here, but I, I would say around about 2006, seven, we really worked things out and dominated our sector and our industry. But you can franchise any business. If you've got a successful business, then you can franchise it and duplicate it. And it's something that I'm gonna work with Rob on under the progressive banner. Uh, if you've got something that's working for you, whether it's tangible and online, then why not do it again and again and again and again? But having the social proof and having that brand power is a really, really big, big um, key element and key going. So from my point of view, people are going to buy from, my, from me. They look at what I've been there and done before. They're buying into my background. So yeah, four or five years and we had a pilot, a successful pilot. And then from there, we had something duplicatable that we could keep going on and on with. It's a good question. This is for Matt. I'll go back to my seat. I actually wanted to ask you earlier, um, I'm passionate about mental health. Obviously, uh, you mentioned about those seriously negative events that happened to you, one at, you know, really at that time. Uh, so what, you were battling with depression, and I remember you said you throw your tablets all into the sea, you know, and you said your future wife that time helped you. So what actually, or what practical things did you do to help yourself overcoming that depression? Because obviously you say you went into withdrawals because you throw all your tablets away. So what kind of practical things you, uh, you did? Um, yeah, I didn't give my future wife permission to throw my tablets away, actually. She did that without me knowing. She said it's either the medication or me. So, uh, yeah, I went with her, clearly. The, 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 the key factor for me was that the, the comeback. And you may laugh at me because I was already successful by that point anyway. But it had been a very dark period of time, and it was the motivation for the comeback, knowing that I could go from where I was. I think I was at four or 500 schools then to take it to where it was now. So the last 10 years for me has been absolutely incredible. And I think once you sort your personal life out, then everything else falls in place. Like I said earlier, the areas of focus is really, really a key element. <laughs> if you just focus on the money, then you're not going to get anywhere. And um, there's that saying, you know, behind every successful person, a successful partner, and that's very true. So I was settled at home as someone whose goals were in line with my goals, and that made a big difference. Whereas my rehearsal wife, she wasn't in line with my goals because when we got together, we had two very different outcomes of what we wanted to achieve. Whereas Monique, she's in show business, she understands it. And she knows I have to react to things. So the mental health side of things is extremely important. And uh, I, I don't mind telling you guys, but I was diagnosed with PTSD uh, about a couple of months ago. So if you, Rob and a few other people know that. 
uh, due to those traumatic years of my life. But it's like anything, these scars on your brain, just like if you tear a muscle, if you do something wrong, and you just have to accept it and move on. And for me, I, I like to use it as an inspiration so that people can do anything. So I could have given up back then. I could have retired on my property. But instead, we got tripled the organization. And um, yeah, when it came out stronger and now able to speak out and help you guys. And it's a great cause you've got there, by the way. So keep at it. It's such a great cause. Give her a clap. Thank you, Pete. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm on. Good. Sorry. I have a question for Rob, if I may. Ah, I've got one. For that, you <laughs> pipe and smoke it. I'm not I know it. it's about money and mindset, but you mentioned marketing earlier on. I've built my digital assets. I've put them on Kajabi. I've actually modeled my header on your rob.team header. What's my next step? Not what's my next step, but what do you advise are the next steps to take? So you've got a membership site platform, uh, and you want to know what your next steps are to grow it and build it. Okay. Um, you don't need a platform to build a list. You just need a very simple landing page that then gives something of value in exchange for an email address. Landing pages can look nice and clean and simple. Um, if you want an example of one, I think is Kieran, is it robmore.com forward slash toolkit that we're building now? Yeah. Is that, yeah. So we've got a brand new guy whose only job in our team is to build pages. Because Kieran and I are still, still scarred from the amount of times we've gone on the road in front of hundreds of people and <laughs> told them all to go to rob.team and the fucking page doesn't work. And honestly, I have nightmares about pages not working. So I actually hired someone full-time. You are my page guy. He just builds pages. So if that page doesn't work, it's his fucking fault. Um, but he's building that at the moment. And I've done a bit of research into a couple or three PDFs that I know my kind of community would like. Super simple and clean. Two or three benefits. It'll, get, it'll convert about 50% of people who land on that page or put, put their details in then you can go through that little auto responder there'll be a couple of emails and then you'll just get my weekly rob's resources super simple can really overcomplicate that make it nice and simple so just copy that um in terms of your platform so every single one of you in this room could have a membership site that is 10 pounds a month and with three members a day in a year you're making 11 grand a month anyone can do that so here's how you do it. You build a simple platform, probably on Patreon is the easiest way to do it. And then every day you do some content. And at the end of the content, you have a nice little simple bridge that goes into your pitch, whether it's text. So I write little um, mini pitches for Rob.team and I send them to my copywriters and they write their email copy and then they just insert a bridge and then there's the little rob.team pitch there every time you go live you can say somewhere towards the end of your content and it's for that reason or it's because of this that i invite you to join rob.team and just bridge in from your content and do a little pitch for your membership site now at 10 pounds a month it's low friction and anyone who's interested in you um is probably not going to have too much friction to, but to buy in at £10 a month. 
Um, I don't pitch enough on social media. I go live every day, as you probably know. And I probably only do pitches at the end of one in every 15 to 20 videos. But every time I do that, I'll get 5, 10, 15 new members. I should do it every day. I, but it's like Putin bridge, Rob.team. I haven't figured that out yet. Had your bridge in from that. Um, but that the trick is elegantly bridging from your content into your little offer. And it's just really simple. Um, I've got a special off offer on at rob.team. Just go to the link rob.team. It's just £10 a month. You can cancel any time. And if you join now, you can get two live masterclasses a month. It might be on starting your business, scaling your business, content creation, social media monetization. I also do four challenges a year, the Make Cash Challenge and the 10x Your Social Media Following Challenge. Also, twice a year, we do the Mindset and Money event, and we have big guests, billionaires, Barry Hearn, Matt Fidesz, etc., coming to that, to that. And we've got a community of thousands of Rob.team members. So just go to rob.tm and come and join the club. That's it. Easy, simple, not too pushy. If you do that script at the end of every piece of content that you do in a year, you'll be making 11 grand a month. And I want half of it. <laughs> I don't. I don't want any of it. Or just get an OnlyFans and get naked. This is a question <laughs> for Ryan. Ryan, you've hey! gone! <laughs> There was a time, I think it was 2014, 2015, even big names weren't getting people on seats at venues in London. You weren't even that well known, sorry to say, at that point, <laughs> even though you're a brilliant speaker. You were getting hundreds of people at these events. Not only that, but you were converting a good majority of them. You just said earlier you had no training in business, marketing, or anything like that. So can you just explain how you did that? Great question. Thank you. And um, I will say there's two key factors, and we debate this often, don't we, about natural talent versus learned talent and all that kind of stuff. Um, for the record, I had no marketing background and I had no marketing training at that time. I've since spent thousands and thousands in, in other masterminds. And I generally feel my instinct is probably um, a bit more accurate to get results than maybe some of the trainings I've been involved in because I think when you really know your product and and I love what Barry um, was speaking about. Thanks for bringing him. I learned yeah. a stack and I wrote a lot of notes. So I really appreciate you. I really enjoyed that. Um, following your passion, I know it's a fridge magnet, is critical. And, and you've been to my training before, uh, literally using that intuitive process and making it up. And I think also my first ad which I ran Facebook ads, I only put 50 pounds down. So I was willing to risk a little to make a lot in the future. So I put 50 pounds down on an ad, a boost button came up. I don't even think it was a Facebook ad back then, it's the boost button. I pressed it, credit card details came up, I went, oh, you see, Zuckerberg's trying to take my cash. Wait a minute, I don't trust people, put that aside, take a risk. Put a 50 pounds down, I think 20 people showed up at my first talk. Um, then 100, then 500, and then the universe kicked my butt because I had a business partner at the time. He needed $10,000 uh, quite, quite rapidly, and the small budget thing wasn't going to work, so I had to drop pretty much what was in the bank account to fill the room with three, 400 people to get the money to pay the 10K. So a bit like Barry, I suppose, it was a bit of luck. 
um, Rob, you weren't in the room when I, went, when I said this earlier, I think, but the challenges we get faced, I believe, are lessons and opportunities and hurdles for us to dig deeper, to maybe get out of our comfort zone and, and go to a place of creativity that we probably otherwise wouldn't need to go. So a back against your wall situation is not so bad, I think. Um, but it was just purely intuitive. And there is one variable um, which, which I do need to add, and that is I'm a great salesperson. And I don't know if I learned that through the trauma of my childhood and needing attention. We debate this all the time. I don't know if I was born with this sales ability because I've always made sales throughout my schooling career and I was the speaker at school who did the promotions for charities and stuff. But because I sell well, I found marketing to be easier. Um, it's amazing how many marketers I've mentored in their business because they can't sell, if that makes sense. So I think if you can sell yourself or promote yourself, like Barry said, and self-promote, I think you're 90% of the way there because the rest is just getting in front of the right people. So, yeah, but thanks for that, and thanks for the uh, question. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So um, this is to – I think it's, it's to you. But you can chip. You can you? both chip. You, Rob. So yeah. first off, guys, can we just give Rob a massive round of applause for today? It's been, it's been epic. Honestly. Thank it's you. such a breath of fresh air being here today. So I'm the oldest on the stage, right? How old do you think I am? 24. 52 in May. Nah. Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask you a question. So I've never been particularly motivated by money. Yet I'd made, I sold a business in 2003 to Boofer for 2.4 million. I'd never had money. Didn't know what to do with it. Pissed it all away. Um, I was on TV for 10 years. I had my own TV show, 20 books, published by the biggest publishers in the world. But I never planned for any of it. I never thought, I did it because I probably wanted to prove to the world that I was someone. But now I feel like I've, there's this reinvention. And I took some notes from what you were saying before. That it's still not money that motivates me. But then I know if I had more money right now, I'd be in a really different situation to the situation that I find myself in, namely with obviously asking people to help me, which I don't particularly like ask doing ask. But I know you you think about me. I think I watch you, I observe you, and I'm just wondering what advice would you give me in terms of taking what I do to the next level? Okay, so the first thing I would say is you probably should be money motivated. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm of course talking to everyone as well as you, Pete. But why when people say I'm not money motivated, I'm confused. Because all the things they want need money. Yeah. It's a societal conditioning. It's how you were raised. It's some beliefs you formed. But if it was okay to be money motivated, then more people would be. So number one is, if you don't think you're money motivated, you should probably be more money motivated. The next thing is, some people, and I'm not, I'm not just talking to you, Pete, here, but I can pick up some things because we've been doing this a long time. A lot of people say they're not money motivated. No, they're just not that good at managing money. They make a lot and they spend a lot. And they, they, they tell themselves they're not money motivated, but they're not investing motivated, building wealth motivated. But you wouldn't speak for free and you wouldn't go on TV for free and you wouldn't give away books for free. You'd sell all them. So... We are money motivated. We just, so, so it's so refreshing 
hearing someone like Barry talking a lot about money and being open that he's done it for himself. And we all loved Barry for that. But a lot of society would hate Barry for saying that. So number one, get more money motivated. Number two, check yourself. Are you really just making an excuse that you're not managing money well? The third thing is, I know it's popular to say it's not about the money. And I agree, but I disagree because do it for free then if it weren't about the money. But here's the thing. If the cause is bigger than the money, you'll make the money. You will raise that 250 grand and we will help you because the cause just got really fucking big. So if we all make our cause big enough now, then you'll make a lot of money. So what was interesting with what Barry said is he said there's three stages of your life. There's selfish, there's family, there's give back. I'm actually living all three of those stages at 43 years old. I didn't want to say it in front of Barry because it's his thing. But he, he, Warren, he's right about Warren Buffett because I've studied Warren Buffett. He made a load till he was old enough that the world said to him, you're greedy and you need to give some back. And then he gave some back. But I set up my foundation when I was 37 years old. Most people, when they set up a foundation, they're 70 years old. I, I, I want to be selfish and selfless and give and make and help the community and the country and the globe. Now, I don't want three stages of my life. I want to live it all at the same time. So, Pete, your cause just got really big and you're going to make a lot of money. So if you make your business cause really big. Yeah, yeah. That, that's huge. That's massive. Hmm. Also, dude, what I loved about what Barry said, and that was something I picked up accidentally just two or three years ago, was money is a, is a sport. Right, so I love sports. I loved how you used that analogy. And sports has rules, and money has rules. And and um, you know, there's a great book about money which you'd all get hold of if you haven't got a copy. Um, Who's that by? <laughs> Maybe I should start yeah. by reading that. I haven't sold anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, make more money. Uh, so, it, it, Rob's 100% correct. You know, yeah. I, I, my, the first book I read about the sport of money was The Richest Man in Babylon. And any, every time I broke one of those. Uh, rules at the start of the game anyway, you can be a bit more adventurous later, I lost money. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to echo what Barry said is money is actually a sport and we do need to be disciplined and we do need to have a purpose and a scorecard, which is your financials. And, you know, the amount of people that I've mentored in business, they don't even know what their financials are. I'm like, dude, would you ever go play a cricket game? I mean, cricket, by the way, I'm very boring. And, and not have a scorecard. I mean, that would just be the most boring cricket game in the world, right? even more boring than it usually is. So, yeah. Just I think sort of also sort of just being, game of money. being really, thank you for that, being brutally honest. I just, when you were talking, I was just reflecting on growing up, growing up in Hampstead Garden suburb, which is obviously very, a lot of money around there, but just seeing people with money and then not associating myself with someone with money. And I still know that I still have that, that association to someone who has a lot of money. Mm. So when I had money, I literally just, very common. A yeah. lot of people are getting rid of their emotions through giving money away. And sometimes it's charity, sometimes it's spending money. It's a common thing. Yeah. Like, as my friend John Paul here knows, I've, st I've studied and I'm good friends with John Demartini. And he taught me that volatile emotions erode wealth. And I have found that to be true. When you are really high, and manically high, you'll just spend money 
too frivolously. You will be careless with your money. When you are down, you will be too careful with your money. You will hoard it and the world won't give more to a hoarder. So actually, volatile emotions erode wealth. So if you regulate and balance your own emotions, you'll regulate and balance your own wealth. I was having a chat with Barry out there for 40 minutes. He's like, every year I put 100 grand in Eddie's bank account for his birthday and his daughter's bank account for his birthday. And I do that. And if it's gifts and you've been doing it long enough, they can't charge inheritance tax on it. So he's thinking of ways logically to get money out of himself and into his family. That's not an emotional thing. That's a logical thing. Um, so when you're logical, there's sometimes emotions. You have to be very careful with emotions because they're not who you are. They're just how you're feeling in the moment. And you have to be very careful not to make financial decisions when you're at emotional extremes. If you want long-term wealth. So volatile emotions erode wealth. I love talking about money. So I'll give you a few more little rules to write down. The three laws of money flow that I've observed. Number one is money tends to flow from those who value it least to those who value it most. So in Pete's instance, he didn't value the millions he made enough to keep it. He valued the things that he swapped for that money more than the money. That's why he got the things and not the money. So if you value certain things more than money, you will buy those things and you will have no money. And some people it's on cosmetics and the way they look. Some people it's on cars and houses. Some people it's on fancy travel and lifestyle. But this is why you must have money as important to you. Because if you don't have money as important to you, the things that you value more than money, you'll spend money on. And you'll have no money left. Unless you're fortunate enough to be Warren Buffett or Mark Homer, where what they value is investing. Like Mark Homer valued investing when he was 12 years old. Those people are unicorns. Most people value. So if you value family, you spend all your money on your family. That's a freaking crime to your family. You should be investing that money so your family can live off the passive income in 20 years time. So it's quite interesting here in my wife talk because there's a family member who's everyone loves in our family and he lives for the moment and he's earning a lot of money and he's spending a lot of money and everyone's like, loves him. He lives for the moment. And my wife said, that's really bad. Him living for the moment. He should be investing that money for the future. I wonder if that was a veiled sign for me. I'm not sure. But she made a really good point there. You know, you've had a lot of trauma and experience in life. Just live for the now. Just spend the No, no, no. Invest for the now. So rule number one of money flow is money tends to flow from those who value it least to those who value it most. So your money is flowing exactly to what you value. And you are predictable in that regard. That's where your money is going. So if you need a different money flow because you want a different money outcome, you've got to look at your values and you've got to value money more, in my humble opinion. The second law of money flow, money tends to flow from those who manage their emotions the worst to those who manage their emotions the best. Isn't it really interesting? I don't know if you picked up on this little nuance, but when Matt was talking about Mohammed Al-Fayed and he said all those people out there spending all their money making us billionaires, that, there's a lot of insight in that, because what billionaires do is produce, and what zero heirs do is consume. 
and consumers spend all their money consuming with billionaires who make all their money producing. People who get rich produce, people who get broke consume. And society judges the producers. Well, these skimp people aren't making electric cars. Elon Musk is. So if you want to be rich, you've got to produce more than you consume. But Mohammed Al-Fayed knew it because he said, all these people out there are spending all their money making us billionaires. He knew the laws of money. I'll save the third rule for the end of the day. We'll do some more questions. I don't want this to monopolize me. Um, what's your name, sir? So this is Stephen. Is he just... Hi, Stephen. Um, is your question for one or all? And what's your question? Small about like, my son's 15 and he gets into trouble at school, doesn't really learn much. And his response when I sat down to him was, school doesn't teach me what I need in life. You didn't do very well at school and you're quite successful, Dad. And school is shit. That was his words at 15, right? So I'd be high fiving my son if he said that. <laughs> I was like, that's great, but there are skills that you need to learn if you aren't going to learn the, you know, the things that aren't relevant. So I guess my question is a little bit deep in terms of how do we fix that where we're teaching kids the things that are relevant, the relevant skills? Because like all of you have sat there and said, yeah, and I come from not great education, where they said, well, we didn't have these skills, we didn't have that. Someone said, you know, how do we change that so we are equipping them so they're more successful, more efficiently, I guess, or quickly? Does that make sense? Yeah. Should we all take a short answer on that then? Go on, Matt. <laughs> that was a deep question. But um, I agree with your son. School is shit, first of all. Absolute shit. What, sorry? Absolute shit. Yeah. The biggest waste of time of all the things I ever did. But unfortunately, they do have to go, right? It's like a glorified babysitter system so people can go to work. Let's be honest. That's what it is. And it's not been updated for ages. I think... My advice to him would be, he has to go through the school system, obviously, it's the law, but he has to observe the masses and do the opposite. So with my organization, we observe what everyone else does in our sector or industries, and we do the complete opposite. Let them go and do everything wrong while we do everything right and operate in the top three to one percent. If he understands that concept, as soon as he's out ready, he can write his goals down now, find his niche, what does he want to do? And make him understand that at school, that's the 97% of people who are going to end up just being employed and go around the rat race. But when he leaves school, he can operate in that top 3%. Find out what he wants to do, model them, and then make it better. If you want me to speak to your son, I'd be more than happy to. I used to be, I hated school. I left with one GCSE. It was a complete waste of time. But I do have three degrees and, and lots of other stuff. But the reason I say all of this is that... Um, my advice, I, I was asked to go back to my school and I said, why the hell, why would you want me to come here? I, I, I'm not a pretty good example of coming to this place. You know, I learned French for six years and all I can say is combien de poissons y a-t-il dans la famille, which means how many fish are there in your family? However, when I did go back, what I said to everyone, when I had all the kids in the school, it was brilliant. I said, listen, my best bit of advice to all of you, what Matt said, I would definitely be encouraging that. I said, get to know every single person in this school. Get to know them by their name. Get to find out. Seek first to understand them because they will be one of your best assets when you leave. As my dad always said, it's not what you know. It's who you know. And then who knows you? 
And people will often want to get to know you when you go out of your way to go and find out about people. So I'd be happy to speak to him because he's in a place where with a little bit of extra mentoring, everything's going to change, right? So, yeah. Just to correct something, obviously, if your child was going to be a lawyer, accountant, a doctor, then school's very important. We're not going to want somebody operating unless who's uh, skipped school and not got any qualifications. <laughs> just want, I just want to clear that up, right? So they, those sectors at school is very important. Uh, I'll hand that over to Rob. Ryan, do you want to go? Um, I've got a lot to say on this because it's a topic I'm very passionate about, and I'm not a, I'm, I don't have a child in school yet. Um, but it made me think of my grandma. And I think she was definitely my first mentor in life and um, very strict and disciplined on work. And she used to manipulate me to do my homework, right? So I could go swim and all this kind of stuff. I only learned that she was manipulating me later on when I was doing it to other people. Um, so, but I think Rob, you know, is very passionate about Martini's work and he'll always tell you this upside and downside to anything. Um, and I think what I've learned from school as a student myself, because I agree with you, I didn't learn a heck of a lot that's relevant now, but there were things that I did learn discipline, um, self-discipline, going away, working, you know, striving towards a goal. Um, my grand was very smart on that. Um, and then also because she, she was in education a little bit, she realized that I couldn't memorize things very well. So I started teaching my curriculum to my grandparents. So in a way, I kind of became a speaker. So yeah, I mean, you know, we can complain about the education system or we can change it. So let's just put that out there. Um, and then I think the world is starting to open up now a bit more around homeschooling and noticing your child's genius. You know, there are dance schools and maybe there'll be entrepreneurial schools. I don't know. Um, but, um, but it all comes down to purpose. You know, somehow, and Martini does this really well, linking what your son wants to get by going through the process so that he's grateful for the ordeal I think will give him strong life lessons, and he might forget all the content, but at least he'll be a self-sustainable, self-disciplined person. Because listen, I can only speak for myself here, business isn't always spiritual. Like, so, you know, in the world we're in today, everybody wants to be the Instagram famous person, but nobody wants to be prolific and committed and do the hard work and deal with the haters and this, you know, we talk about negative emotions often and the critics and and, 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 and so maybe, you know, having the person struggle through school is not such a bad thing. And at school, I loved sports. I played every single sports. I even played netball. Um, that's another story. Um, so, yeah, um, interesting. But I would say, what does he really want? Link that back. Show him how that structure can give him that benefit and then make him see the wisdom in that. And, um, yeah, that's it. I've got a different thought. Anytime you think there's nothing you can learn, you're missing the lesson. There's many times in my life where I'm thinking, is this a good use of my time and should I be here? That's the wrong question. The first thing I've got to look at if I'm thinking, is this worth my time and should I be here is, can I change this by not being here? He can't right now, because I guess your partner, his mum is having none of that. Um, that was, would be my guess, because I would take my kids out of school and get them working for me. 
But my wife is having none of that. None of that. So I love my wife, so she wins on that one. Um, so he can't change that. So all he can do is get the lesson he's supposed to get. You always get the lesson you're supposed to get when you see the lesson. So, um, you know, I'm going to share with you a lesson I've had today because it, it is, it's been a bit difficult for me because we had 500 people register for this event. Pre-COVID, if I got 500 people registered for an event, there would be 300 people crammed into this room plus. And I only decided to do this event because I wanted to help Barry Hearn sell a load of books. That was what, why I initially planned to do this. I don't want anything from Barry. I just want, I just think he's so fucking awesome. The world needs more of Barry Hearn. And I've got so much just getting to know him. That's why I wanted to do this event. And then I turned it into the mindset and money and we've done all this stuff. Um, I'll make no money from this event and I'm not interested in making any money from this event. And having 500 people register for an event and 90 show up, when I've got my friend here and my friend here and my friend here, I mean, I guess for you it doesn't matter so much because you're here, but I wanted to put on a really good event for Ryan and for Jesson and for Matt and for Pete and for Barry. So I've had moments on my own where I've felt, I felt some pain around that. And then I thought, well, there's clearly a lesson I'm supposed to get here. And then I thought, well, I've been doing events for 15 fucking years and I've filled out every fucking venue in London and I can't fill out this one. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then I was having a chat with Barry and he said, and I, I told him, I told him because everyone's been asking me how many are going to show up. And I didn't tell anyone because I didn't fucking know. And I'm really glad I didn't because I'd have said 200. And I was talking to Barry and Barry seemed really happy. Funny that. And then he said, yeah, you know, I've, I've got an event at the Crucible. I'm speaking at it. Crucible's got 800. Fucking hell, it's a slog. We won't even get 200. What the fuck? And I got the fucking lesson I needed right there speaking to Barry. No one else who's got a membership site, no one else in my industry can put 90 people in a room. No one can. I could give everyone 10 grand cash and I wouldn't be able to get that in the room because the world has fucking changed. And that was the lesson I was supposed to get. But throughout the morning, I was struggling to get that lesson because I felt like I'd let some people down. They probably weren't thinking that. They're probably just thinking it's great to be in front, in a room in front of people. You probably don't care. You don't care how many people in the room as long as you've got your seat. So, exactly. And so, I was missing the lesson I was supposed to get in the morning. I got that lesson talking to Barry Hearn out there. Um, your son's missing the lesson he needs to get at school because he hasn't got the choice of leaving. So if you can help him get the lesson he needs to get while being at school, that's, I think, the best lesson you can give him. Always a pleasure. Sharon, what's your question? When you were younger, did you have voices in your head? <laughs> 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 you Okay, pause there and we'll answer that. Look, let's just do one at a time. It, 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 it. What did you do with them to bring them in line to do what you needed to do with 
Matt? I think that's one for... Listen, Rob's had the most therapy. I think that's one for Rob, the voices in the head. I think we all need therapy after this. What are the, what are the I, don't, I don't have any voices in my head other than my own. But my own can be quite fucking brutal to me. So that's my answer. I, I beat myself up more than anyone could beat me up, definitely. And I am my own harshest critic who never really gives himself credit for what he's done. That's, so those are, you're talking about voices that might even become demons. And then a personal development taught me another voice, which, is, which coaches that voice. So I have my voice and then I have my own coach, which sounds more patronizing slightly more uplifting and positive, uh, has a slightly different timbre to his voice. So I have those two voices in my head and one is continually coaching the other. That's me. I don't know about you guys. I'll get out of the way, Ryan, and then I can dodge this one and get on to the next question. Hopefully it's a little easier. I think, um, it's, I think it's good to have voices in your head, as long as they're telling you the right things. Of course, people around you, who you surround, I know Jess uncovered this earlier, but you do become the five people you mix with the most of the books you read and the social media you consume, the films you watch. That is so true. I really do believe that in a big way. So that could be controlled to an element. But you've got to control the input what's coming into your head. So I'm surrounded by a lot of people. I don't have many friends. You can count them probably on one hand. My close friends, Robert being one of them, and Pete, and so on. But then I have my business partners who I can trust and they'll, they'll all have different opinions about things. And some people are called, I'm not a yes man by any means. I take a, a valid look at every, everything for the best possible approach for my business or my personal life. But I think you can control your what's coming in. You just have to be aware that there's so many thousand marketing messages. I can't remember what it is. It's like 7,000 per day an average person gets hit with. And they're all from Progressive Property in your email inbox. <laughs> they're all from Progressive. And, um, yeah, and, and just, just control how much you consume and control what you're telling yourself because what you'll tell yourself will be your, your truth. So uh, going back to my time with successful people, most of them, the really successful friends I have, they're all on antidepressants and stuff because they don't tell themselves they're successful. <laughs> they don't practice the stuff that Ryan talks about, like gratitude and going deep into your soul. I wouldn't class myself as successful. I know Rob said that earlier. If someone said, are oh, you really successful? I disagree. I want to be a billionaire, not because of the money side, but just because I, that's my next goal on my list. I've achieved everything else. Got the kids, 28 kids, as Rob says, <laughs> and, and so on. But seems the, to be 29. Seems to, so yeah, we're, we're, yeah, okay, well, I should be quiet. I'll, <laughs> I'll, be, re, I'll be reading the paper tomorrow. But um, you threw me off there for that one. <laughs> yeah, the voices in your head part is your own subconscious talking to you. I'm going to hand you over to Ryan for this because he can go a bit more on this. But you have to control your thoughts because the thoughts will control your actions. And there are certain things you can do to block out the negativity and so on and making sure you trust that instinct, which has to be goal-driven and aligned with what you want to go off and achieve. So we get pulled in all different directions. People in my ear all the time. People are in Rob's ear all the time. And we have to know where we can listen. Is it in line with our goals and our focus on our family and our personal life? But no, I don't have any voices in my head. I divorced her in 2009. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, Ryan, Pete, um, do you have voices in your head? Absolutely. I mean, oh, sorry, what's your name? The Sharon. lady that asked the question? Sharon. Sharon. It's, I mean, it's a two and a half thousand year problem. You know, it's a challenge I think we all relate to. And there's a number of different perspectives about it. You know, some people will say, well, it's a part of us that just wants us to stay where we are, doesn't want to stand out, doesn't want to get rejected. I like where Ryan comes from with this whole concept of the genius within you. It's just who are you listening to? Who are you paying the most attention to? But I will say something which is a lot of people don't know this, and I would really encourage you just to pay attention to what I'm about to say, because I'll keep it brief. But having studied the human condition for as long as I have, I'll tell you, for years in psychology, we thought what drove behavior was the past. And we know the past affects us, of course it does. But what really drives us is our view of the future. But most people's view of the future doesn't go very far. So if I said, who are you going to be tonight? Most people know who they're going to be tonight. They can already see that person. If I said, who are you going to be next week? You probably have an idea of who that person is. If I said, who are you going to be in a year's time? For most people, the stranger part of their brain lights up. So they don't have empathy for the person they're going to become. They actually have empathy for who they think they are right now. And what got you here is probably not going to get you there. So building a compelling relationship to your future self is where there is so much power. But that's an ongoing process. And I would say to everybody here in this room, just out of curiosity, what is going to be your greatest ever achievement? Not what has been, what will be. And I'll tell you Was what. Was yours Britney Spears? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing like a little naughty schoolboy, isn't he? <laughs> I guess, tired. That was good. That was good. We're going to take one more question. Ryan's going to do his voices bit, and then we're going to take one more question. Then we're all going for dinner. You're, you, sir, are the final question. Mike, oh, oh. Um, Ryan, do you have voices in your head? All the time. Um, very briefly, uh, obviously, I teach this, but a summary of it is... Steven Spielberg said, if you can listen to the whisper of your intuition, you'll be fine. So the trick and the, and the dilemma of education is we're not taught what are my thoughts, what are my feelings, what are my emotions as one form of uh, feedback mechanism, and then what is my intuition? And um, so when, when I'm training people, I teach people to pay attention to the emotions because your emotions and the pressure will try and resolve tension that's not helpful, in my opinion. Um, but secondly, if you can remain present and listen to the gift in presence, then your intuition will always guide you. So Led Zeppelin have a song called The Battle of Evermore, and that is the battle of the voices in your, in your head. So, yeah, it's an ongoing journey, isn't it? Cool. Yes. Final question, sir. Okay, do you rock this one? Uh, it's a fantastic day, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well done, man. Thank you. I started making some good money uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago. Um, and I've always followed the same process and systems as part of the Matt Fidesz organization. And, and, and nothing's really changed in terms of we've evolved and we've improved things. But what I found was, is that uh, the word momentum, I attached that to money because I found that as I started to make money, 
Um, it's a bit like when I was a, a younger and the, the cars I had, they were the old cars that the battery went flat and you had to push them to jumpstart the car. And to get the car moving, it was very difficult. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, the, the wheels would start rolling. And, and I found the effectively the same about making money. I found that if I carry on doing what I'm doing, keep evolving, keep pushing forward, momentum attaches itself to money. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. When you get into the habit of making money, it yes. becomes easier. So... Money is a form of energy, and the law of conservation of energy states um, that energy can't be created or destroyed, it can only change form. And there's another law of energy, I forget the name of it, which is a body at rest tends to stay at rest, and a body in motion tends to stay in motion. So momentum is a universal law of energy, whereby the bigger and longer and harder and faster and better something is, the harder it is to stop. The leaner and smaller and quieter and weaker something is, the harder it is to start. Imagine trying to start a global e-commerce site and competing against Amazon. Good fucking luck. Imagine trying to buy Twitter unless you're Elon Musk. I was pleasantly surprised by the Elon Musk acquisition of Twitter. I fucking knew social media needed a shakeup. There's so many things really fucking wrong with social media. And I've kept my gob shut for long enough because I've done really well out of social media, but I've started to speak up about it recently. Cancelling, shadow banning, you know, the algorithms messing with us, yada, yada, yada. And I, I have had millions of views on those videos and so many people are pissed off. And I thought it is ripe for truth on social media. It is ripe for free speech. And I thought it would be a new social media platform. It isn't. It's Elon fucking Musk. He is going to change social media. And he is going to make Twitter a more free speech, less hate-filled, bot-filled platform. And all the other social media channels are going to get really disrupted. This is exciting times. These disruptions don't happen very often. Social media, big tech social media has had power for a decade and the guard is changing and that's really exciting. So Elon Musk has momentum. He has reputation, he has brand, he has following, he has hundreds of billions. So your observation in my humble view is correct. This is why I always say in our industry, Focus 70% of your time on your main business model, at least. Because one of the downsides of all the things we teach is you can try and do everything and you end up getting nowhere. And you know the truck pull on the world's strongest man. Well, there's no momentum when you pull one truck, but tr imagine trying to pull five at the same time. But that's what people are doing, trying to do five different business models and manage, you know, five different things in their life. Get really good at one. So I think energy and um, the laws of energy backs up your point. Um, what you can do, though, is you can take that momentum and redirect it somewhere else. So um, Napoleon Hill, in his book, Think and Grow Rich, said the most powerful form of energy is sexual energy. And he talked about transmuting sexual energy. You did that for quite a few years, Matt, I think. <laughs> but I think he sprayed it instead of focusing it. 
Um, but yeah, energy that already has momentum and changing it into a different form could be a very powerful thing to do, but you have to build momentum to be able to do that. So thanks for your question. Thanks for coming.